Hello, everyone. Hello, my dear audience. Hello, my friends. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Today, once again, we'll have an open mic show. Please feel free to call anytime if you have a question, a comment regarding the subject we are discussing. Uh, but if you have a personal problem, physical or emotional, and would like to, to share uh, with it on, here on the air and would like me to give you some assistance, I will gladly pause my presentation and do my best addressing the issue. The number here to call is 888-874-4888-888-874-4888. Also, if you have trouble listening to us through the internet because of poor connection, you can listen to, it's called Listen Live by Phone Number, and it's 1641 793-7091. I received some emails I want to show, share with you uh, first before we start the subject that um, I prepared for you. I received uh, yet another email from Canada from my friend from Canada. Uh, here it is. I read your email last week. Uh, ta -ta -ta. I have written to you hoping you might come up with some spiritual tools from your toolbox that we can use to save and protect humankind from the psychopaths that are running the world. Well, next Tuesday, I will be doing my show from Texas. Remember, I already went there in May. A month ago, Gary called again and asked me to, do, to go to Texas and do another program with him. Again, I asked, uh, what do you want me to talk about? And again, I received the same reply, whatever you want. So I suggested the title to my five-day presentation, Keeping Sanity in the World That Went Crazy. They liked it in Texas. So that's what I will be doing from September 18th to September 25th. So my dear Canadian fighter for truth, justice, and freedom to decide what to allow to be injected into your body. Let me uh, teach the program I'm certain that it will be enriched by the participants. And after that, I will share with the audience here on the air what I taught and what I learned in Texas. Okay? Another email from Judy. I may be ahead of you, but I was thinking that if God knew everything that was happening before it happened, then how does free will work? My understanding is that free will means that each of us gets to choose what we do without interference of God. I would appreciate if you would clarify this for me. Absolutely, Judy. 
Uh, but I spoke about freedom, not free will, but freedom to choose. Sorry if I didn't make it clear. Free will is something different. Um, you, know, you know, a lot of people use this term free will. Free will would be like uh, you're hired for work and you will get $1,000 a week. And it's your free will. If you come to work, if you don't come to work, if you come to work half of the time, you do whatever you want. You will still get your $1,000. But that's not freedom to choose. And that's what I believe we have, freedom to choose. That is, if you are hired um, for $1,000 per week, you are free to choose. And you can come three days a week, but then you will get $600 for those three days. If you choose to come only one day, you will get $200. And if you choose not to come, probably you will be fired after a while. So freedom to choose is not a ticket to do anything you want. It is freedom to make choices and then live with the consequences of the choices that you made. So how is it that God knows past, present, and future, but we still have freedom to choose? Let me attempt to answer it. Imagine you're a speed reader, God's speed. In an instant, you finish the whole screenplay, the screenplay called Judy and her life. So no, you know exactly what will happen in the movie. Every relationship she ever had, every turn she ever made, every moment of her life, which will unfold in the movie, but you already know the script. Then movie is filmed according to the human time frame, though you know all that will happen. And it will happen according to the script. So what? That, that you knew the, what will happen in advance. Uh, it will still happen, even though you know. Uh, now let's take it a little further. If you were God, or let's say chief executive producer slash director of this show, of the movie, even though you knew exactly what would happen with the main character, if the main character cries out from all his, her heart, something like, yes, I know that the turns I met brought me to this particular place in the movie, but I do not like it. I do not want it. Please, please, dear chief executive producer, director, change the script. The director may change the script, knowing well that as the director or God changes the script of your life, it will make him change the scripts of all those around you. And yet, God may still do it. I hope uh, it helps. The question many people ask, if God wants to reveal himself, and we spoke about it 
in the last show that the word bora not only means created, but also revealed. So if God wants to reveal himself, why is he hiding? Why doesn't God show himself to us? God does through manifestations, not through God's appearance. What difference would it make if God shows up to us as a tall woman or as a short blue-eyed man or as a cow or as a bull or as a pillar of light or as an old, wise, dark-skinned woman or whatever it is, you name it then God would be reduced to the functions that we attribute to those entities. But God created all those entities. God is beyond those entities. So God manifests God's self through actions in every aspect of our lives. There is a saying, uh, money changes people. Money does not change people. It simply reveals who they are. Divorce does not change people. War does not change people. Disease does not change people. It reveals who they are. So God presents us with challenges which give us the opportunity to reveal ourselves, to demonstrate whether or not we follow the instructions to reveal our qualities to ourselves so that we would decide what we would want to do with those qualities. And if we choose, we can do what my teacher Colette uh, taught, climb the ladder of ourselves to become the best we can become. Now, a quick summary of what we learned last week before we go ahead. Uh, we started with the first verse of Genesis, of the first chapter of Genesis. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And the earth, that is matter in every possible form, was in chaos. God created two realms, heaven and earth. And God was present on earth hovering, as it's written in the second verse, above the chaos. We're not told much about heaven. God wants us to focus on the earth. So we learned, one, God, who is the source and home of all powers, is a creator. Two, everything except God has a beginning. Three, time is born with the physical universe. God is not bound by time. God is beyond time. God is not attached to a space. God created space and nature and time. God is beyond them. God is the source of them. Four, God is not a sexual being. And God was not born out of, as a result of sex. And five, God created the universe and God created us because of God's need to have a partner to whom God could reveal himself. That's what we did, we discussed 
last week. Before we go to the next verses, verses 3 and 4, I would like to answer yet another email I received from someone. And the text also that someone from Europe sent me. Here is the email. Dr. Reznik, please tell us why God is referred to as he. It seems that people wrote about God as male because for the last few thousand years, all societies of the world were male-dominated societies and used women as a commodity. It's a great question, wonderful question. First of all, according to Judaism, as I mentioned, God has no gender. But it is true that during the week, we refer to God as He. But on Shabbat, we refer to God as She. We invite the feminine principle of God uh, into our home. On Friday, we invite what we call Shekhina, feminine principle of God. Think of the Chinese symbols of yin and yang, masculine, feminine. Masculine as active, forceful, hard, giving, creating. Feminine as gentle, soft, open, receptive, receiving. So why in the days of work and action do we refer to God as he? Uh, well, I did a little research. Number one, here's research about what is happening in America now. 85% of youth who are currently in prison grew up in their fatherless home. Another one, children from fatherless homes are twice as likely to drop out of school before graduating than children who have father in their lives. I see somebody, uh, Greg from Calgary is calling. Greg, I will respond in a second, where we'll get your call. I just want to finish here with this subject. One more. Children who live in a fatherless home are three times more likely to deal drugs or carry firearms for offensive purpose compared to children who live with their fathers. Men, as you see, have always been more violent than women, and it has been true throughout millennia. Relating, relating to God as a masculine figure makes it more likely that men will follow God's instructions. Uh, so let me now take Greg's phone call. Greg, is you are on the air. Welcome. Hi, Dr. Resnick. Hi, Greg. You have a question or comment? Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, very well. Thank you for calling. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I know you You are from originally from Calgary. We already spoke. And you actually live in the United States now, correct? If I remember no, correctly. No, I used to live in the U.S. And now I live in Calgary. Oh, okay. It's the other way around. Okay, yeah. Greg. You, you have a comment? Well, yeah. Like the original reason I called, like, to, um, I had a little issue, like, public speaking. 
And, oh, um, oh, yes, 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 please. Okay. Well, now I have a chance to speak publicly this week, actually. Uh-huh. Like um, home, and I, I've been, I got together a, a petition to try and stop it. This Thursday, there's a meeting where I'm probably going to have to speak. And actually, I think our member of parliament will be there. So hitting the ground running here with <laughs> who I'm speaking in front of. But, um, yes. I wanted to say that I've been using like your connection technique that you've been um, the, 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 you've the white light to, the white light that, technique yes yes, yes. Uh, okay. how is it how, how are you feeling about the whole experience that is to happen you mean the whole cell tower thing or the, how, how do you feel yeah. anticipating like on a scale from 1 to 10 how uh, comfortable or uncomfortable as five being neutral uh, four being super relaxed ten going through the roof how how do you feel I'd say I'm probably about a six or a, seven, a little bit anxious you know uh, yeah. but, but not as anxious as you used to is that correct no I, you know what? It used to. I wouldn't even be in this situation. I would never have even gotten a petition uh-huh. together. I would never even thought of going and <laughs> talking. Uh, you made my day, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I will give you something else. Did it, but uh, this is wonderful. By the way, we wouldn't want you to be five or four because then you're flat. You want to be expressive. You want to be excited. Look, I've been doing this show for so, so long now, already like almost three years. And I can tell you that I go from five to six just before I talk. Not because I'm anxious. I'm excited. So I don't sound flat. I don't sound like I'm half asleep. So, but yeah. here, because it will be this special presentation and you want to make sure that you are very comfortable, um, you have to decide and write down exactly what you will start your presentation with. The, the sentence. Uh, let's say, hello, I am Greg, ta-ta-ta, right? So what I want you to do is to write it down for yourself, and then read it out loud, but in the most ridiculous, exaggerated way. Like, Hello, I am Greg. Like something like this. Can can you do it here on the air to entertain our <laughs> audience, or you can? <laughs> uh, yeah, we are family uh, now. Everybody knows <laughs> you are not presenting to them. Everybody knows now you, those who listen regularly. So go ahead, make exact exaggerate the first sentence. Hi, I'm Greg. <laughs> Okay, go ahead. Say the, a little more. Well, actually, I'm going to use... Let me see here. I was like, sorry to bother you, but... <laughs> yeah, but wonderful, wonderful. Greg, this is what, do this, this is what do I said going to everybody's door. Uh-huh. Do, do this at least 25 times. Not, not yeah. now, not with us. Yeah. But do it at least 25 times. But do it loud. You did fantastic. 
you know, you can you can sing it, you can whisper it, you find different ways. You can go like this. Hello, I am Greg. Whatever way you want, but do it do it over and over again. I'm. You're probably guessing why it's so important, but look, even yeah. now, when you started doing this, you started laughing. That's wonderful. Yeah. So, do that it. You can record it. yourself se uh, uh, several of your presentations, so several, several of your first sentences, and listen to them, and you laugh at them. So you will see when you go to that presentation to do the presentation, you will do fantastic, Greg. Thank you so much for calling. I am so proud of you. You made my day, as I said. <laughs> and anything else you want to say, Greg, before? I actually do, if you have the, the, the time. I mean, I absolutely, don't absolutely. Uh, you, you have a comment or a question? Another question. Um, so w where this cell tower is being built, it's, on, it's being built on a church ground. And I've actually been going to the services every Sunday. It's a Christian church. Um, like that's when I've been using your con your connection technique. Like before I go in, I, I do these connect your the white light. Yes, and yes. and I've done another thing that you mentioned. There are no coincidences. Like the, the first time I went there, I was running late, and I wanted to. Like my original plan was to sit within like the congregation in the middle there. But I, I, I showed up late, so I grabbed the first seat in the back. And I just so happened to sit next to the person who was on the committee for the church to approve the cell tower. Uh -huh. And, like, at the end of the services, they, you know, I, I was able to talk to her. She, like, you know, they recognized me as not being part of the, you know, the group there. And, um... And I told her, you know, like, I, I, I'm coming here with a bit of an agenda. I'm trying to find out about this, you know, the cell tower they're putting, you know, like 100 meters from my house that I'm concerned about. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, like, it, it went pretty well. Um, and they asked for more information. And then I, I dropped it off this week. I didn't speak to the same person. I just, she wasn't there that this week, so... But I did leave information on the hazards of cell towers and whatnot, and I don't know. I, I, I think that the you know the connection technique, and even there are no coincidences. Even like the what the reverend was talking about, like they were talking about take a stand, you know, like yes, don't just yes. be a bystander, you know. Like it was just you know it, it fell into that no coincidences. Uh, so you are you are concerned that that this tower can do damage to, to health, people's that's health and, 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 you, and your health, because you live nearby. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. I, I've, I personally don't have much information about, about uh, uh, these cell towers, but I do know and I read a lot about um, the, the rays that are affecting people when there are electric power lines even. So sure. yeah. I understand your concerns, and it's wonderful that you're speaking up. Uh, as long, Greg, it's very important. In fact, I'm going to respond after we speak. I'm going to respond to somebody who sent me a text asking me a question that I would like you to, 
to listen to this response because I don't, I'm concerned that uh, you would get or anybody who would get in, in, in a situation like this would begin to feel resentment, which you can say, okay, of course, how can you not feel resentment? And I, I want you to hear what I have to say, because I think there is a something, some valuable tool for you regarding this um, situation that you find yourself in. Okay? Sounds good. Thank you, Dr. Resnick. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for calling. Bye-bye. So, ladies and gentlemen, here I received a text from one of my young listeners in Europe. She wrote, I wonder how physical fatigue that I feel relates to the to the to my, me dissociating mentally right physical fatigue relates to me dissociating mentally wow my friend you already ahead of the game you already aware that this is there is a relationship between, between those two half of the work is already done i spoke on the show uh, on this show a while ago about what happens if a person is resentful of someone and will address eventually we'll get to what you're asking about but i spoke about it uh, what happens if you are resentful of someone or something uh, and this person let's say focuses on it for a long time i ask people to imagine actually this analogy was first introduced not by me, by my nephew Vlad, who was on this show. I invited him as a guest. So imagine that you are a battery, which is fueled by whatever you want to call it, God, the source of all being, or universe. You get as much energy as you need, but then you have a cable attached to you. Go from your battery, your battery, to another battery called Steve or Susan, or injustice that happened, or company that wants to install the cell tower, or someone's greed, or whatever it is. And as you focus on those, it's not only a mental experience, it's also an energetic flow from your battery into those that you focus on. Remember, energy flows where attention goes. The more intense your resentment is, the more energy is flowing out. It does not in any way mean that you must love something that is repulsive to you, by all means. It's okay to acknowledge that that is not the right thing. Just like, for example, Greg, who just spoke to us, he does not like or questions the safety of that those uh, cell towers being built nearby and in the church. People go very often and being affected by it. As long as he doesn't become resentful, because he needs, and like everybody, needs to recognize people are, Greedy companies are not the way we want them to be. They are who they are. People are who they are. 
And we have a choice what we want to do about it, just like Greg started speaking and bringing up this question. As long as there is no resentment, because life, that's how life is created. There are oppositions. You recognize it and then ask yourself, what do I do about it? And once you begin to resent, then you have this leakage of energy. Uh, the one, the other way to to lose to lose energy is as you uh, described in your text. The, the other way of leakage of energy is dissociating or daydreaming, being somewhere else, walking, doing things, but not really being there. Then look what happens. Whatever you do physically requires energy, right? Plus, whatever, wherever your mind goes also requires energy. So let's say after six hours of being, you invested in physical energy, six hours worth of physical energy, plus six hours of mental energy, of traveling somewhere, thinking to someone, about someone, or think, thinking about having conversation with them, or resenting someone, or liking someone. So it's another six hours of energy. So you have 12 hours of energy used for six hours of energy of being. So that's why you feel tired. So the answer is, you have to live in the moment, focus on what you're doing. And of course, the mind works in such a way that uh, thoughts always come in our mind. And all you need to do is once you become aware that your mind is elsewhere, you go, oops, that's it. Oops. Oops means I'm not going to waste my energy to allow my energy to leak out because it drains me and it produces nothing. So, but all that is in one oops and you go right back to what you're doing. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that was half of, uh, of our show that we spend um, with emails and talking to Greg. Now let's go back, back to our talk on the Torah. Reminding you where on the portion Bereshit, Exodus, which covers six chapters and eight verses. So today we start, we, we talk about uh, verse 3 and verse 4. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. That's verse 3 and verse 4. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. What we are learning here is that the darkness was there. God did not created and it is not written that the darkness was bad so it was a necessary part of the process but then comes the light and the light as we read god said was good from that we derive a hopeful message that the darkness in our lives though maybe not so pleasant but it is necessary so that the, after that darkness, the light would arrive 
and it would become good. Why? Because God likes the light. It is not written that God likes the darkness. After separating light from darkness, God likes the light. That's why probably we have this saying, uh, it will all be good at the end. If it's not good, it's not the end. There is yet another new element which is introduced in the verse 3. And, and that's these words. And God said, God speaks. God speaks Spanish or Italian or French. God speaks and things come into being. Doesn't mean necessarily God speaks in the voice. God speaks through the mind. We are told of the power of speech. In whatever shape or form it happens, which will develop into future uh, many, many commentaries that we'll get in future verses. Because God speaks over and over and over and will eventually get to a place where man speaks. God speaks, and through speech, God creates. So eventually, when we get to verse 27, uh, um, we'll talk about a human being being an image and likeness of God. What we say, not only outwardly, but to ourselves, uh, becomes a reality. We begin to create the moment we say something in our mind. Let us now move uh, to verse 5. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, there was morning, the first day. Oh, the first day. We'll talk about the meaning of the day, what it means. Hopefully, we can still do it today. Wait a minute, one may say, day, night, the sun has not been yet created. The sun is to be created, as you will see, on the fourth day. Yes, there is even more problems here. Uh, on the day third, vegetation is created. But the sun was not created yet. We definitely will address it. But first, let's go to the second day. That's on the verse, in the verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. Oh, wait a minute, which waters? Which waters to separate? Waters from the waters. Well, let's, let's finish with, uh, let's connect it with the verse 7, and then I will address it. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were the above of the expanse. And it was so. Uh, verse 8, And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. Okay, now we can focus on understanding what it meant. We just heard what I read. Indeed, we know that there are waters, they're meteorites. 
waters above, in the space, and the waters below, the oceans. Now, in the beginning, we didn't know. I mean, uh, till uh, Hubble telescope, people didn't know uh, what, what was flying above. They saw stars, and that's it. Scientists now say that the universe is filled with meteorites, which are primary, uh, primarily uh, huge blocks of ice. In fact, now meteorologists say that our oceans are replenished by the waters which fall into the oceans from as showers after meteorites enter the atmosphere and burn out. But there is something else uh, to notice there. After creating things on the first day, God said that it was good. And as we'll see later, after creating things on all other days, God also says that it was good. Only on the second day, it is simply written, the second day. We'll also see that after completing his work, every day, there is, it was a positive ending. Uh, so what happens with the second day? The sages de depict from this fact that on the second day, God created what is called Gehenom, or what is translated into English as hell. And, pe and people ask, is it really a place where uh, people are burning and tortured, like it described in some books? Um, I remember... Liking very much the Dutch painter of 16th century, Peter Bruegel, and he had these incredible paintings uh, of hell, uh, very powerful, very detailed. But that's for people of that age, their understanding of hell. We understand that if the body dies, the consciousness moves on, but the, not the physical body. So what kind of burning, what kind of torture can happen uh, to the body? Well, according to the Hebrew teachings, hell is not in, is a, a physical uh, space. Rather, it can be compared to a very intense feeling that a person has. Most of the time, it's feeling of regret or shame. People are ashamed as they review their life, lives, uh, people are ashamed or regretful of their misdeeds and what consequences came from their actions. When somebody deviates from God's will, one is said to be in Gehenna, in hell. According to the teachings of a period of one earthly year, the soul goes through what we call inventory. Every action, every word, every thought, because it's energy and has had an influence on so many people around the world. Shortly, everything about a person's life is revealed to him or her.
they see not only how their lives affected people around them, but also how those who were affected by them affected others, and how it cascaded throughout the world. And for some, that's definitely hell. Um, they even, may even go through experiences uh, that they, how they influenced other people and feel other people's experience, experiences. Um, and you will say, how can it be how they can feel pain, for example, if they don't have the body? Um, just imagine for a moment, you have a night dream or a simulation room, you know, pilots go through simulation rooms. And even though they know that it's a simulation room, after half an hour of flying a plane, they walk out soaked wet. Why? Because it feels real. If you live in a, through a night dream, let's say you were kidnapped and tortured and abused, and day after day you, you are in jail, in, uh, then you wake up and say, oh God, thank God, it was all a dream. But uh, imagine while you are in a dream, it's all real. In fact, people wake up sometimes and their heart is pounding because the body begins to feel what a person is experiencing in a, in a night dream. So imagine living a life like this, a nightmare, and never waking up. That's, that's what person, a person goes through uh, if they did a lot of things that they feel are not good, that their own soul acknowledges and feels was, uh, were mistakes. But after a year, the soul joins the family of souls it belongs to. Now, uh, we have time. Back to verse 9 of chapter 1. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Verse 10. God called the earth, dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And uh, verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees, bearing fruit in which this, there is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. 12. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw it was, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. Now, three days, and it's a very strange thing. As I said, there is no sun yet, and suddenly it's written about fruit, it's confusing, but I promise very soon everything will become clear. Dr. Gerald Schroeder, who taught physics at MIT and the Weizmann Institute in Israel, uh, wrote this. People constantly ask me, how come 
we have plants on the third day when the sun doesn't appear till the next day? Well, he answers, the sun, moon, and stars were there, but they were not visible from the Earth's surface. The Earth was still hot at the time, and therefore high vapors, their pressure enveloped the Earth in thick clouds. By the time of the day four, the Earth had cooled, and clouds were opened, and the sun, the moon, and stars could be visible from the Earth. Obviously, there were no humans, but the Bible's view from the views from the Earth. We know this because the sun and moon are called great bodies in verse 16. And the only location in the universe where the sun and moon seem like the same size was Earth. That is because sun, sun's diameter is 400 times greater than the moon's diameter. But from the moon, but the moon is 400 times closer to the Earth than the sun. Therefore, there is an impression visually that they are the same size. And that is an attempt of a scientist, physicist, to make things work. My opinion, in my opinion, things happen differently. After we get to the second chapter, verse 7, I will tell you my thought about it. Uh, I think how the world was created, and it does not require... Uh, an explanation by a physicist. And I believe I did not come up with this idea on my own. Uh, as far as I can remember, I first heard this other explanation that I will give you from Kabbalist Zev Ben Shimon Halevi, with whom I studied in 1990. We, uh, 47 people I remember, uh, lived in a castle in Rye, New York, it was, the castle was called Wainwright House. Uh, but for now, let's pause and look at something that may cross some of the minds. Uh, uh, when it's written day, does it mean, remember, and there was evening and there was uh, morning one day and then second day. What is day? Uh, only 70 years ago, the astronomers thought the universe was 15 billion years old. That's 70 years ago. Nowadays, um, they say approximately it's 13.7 billion years old. Uh, so what is true? Is it... Uh, <laughs> 15 billion, is it 13 billion, or, or it's or seven days? Who do you trust? Well, here is Rabbi Isaac of Akka. He wrote a book called The Treasury of Life 700 years ago. That's why I emphasize 70 years ago, we learned that the universe was 15,000 years old, uh, 15 billion years old. 700 years ago. Uh, 
Rabbi Isaac of Afka determined the age of the universe through Kabbalistic calculations. Uh, Rabbi's explanation is not difficult to grasp, but we have to grasp it step-by-step uh, -step process. So if you want, you can use the calculator. I hope you have enough time, and I will explain to you how Rabbi Isaac arrived to, to at his number, and I will tell you what the number was. Uh, he attributes what his insight ultimately to Moses himself at the Mount, receiving this at the Mount Sinai. The key is 90th Psalm written by Moses. Indeed, Kabbalists regard, I will go slowly because I want you to get used to the numbers. Kabbalists regard Moses' um, Psalms from 90th to 100th uh, as a hidden doorway to prophecy. 90th Psalm, and I did my calculations with a calculator, says quite explicitly that God, uh, God's day corresponds to a thousand men years. The verse literally says, for a thousand years in thy sight are but yesterday. This gives us one obvious clue. And there are several of the major clues by which Jewish mystics arrived at their conclusion of the age of the universe. Uh, by the way, I'm, co I'm quoting this information from the book written by David Schenkin, medical doctor. The book is called Path of the Kabbalah. I very much recommend his book. Let's go back. Genesis relates that creation cycle consisted of seven days. In Judaism, the seven-year cycle is very important. Every seventh year is a sabbatical year. And historically, uh, that commandment had a great significance. For example, the land had to stay fallow, not to be farmed. The crops would be grown in every uh, no, would, would not be grown every seventh year. In Judaism also, every seven multiplied by seven years is called a jubilee year. Uh, Kabbalists teach that there are also, there were seven cycles of creation. Each cycle of creation is seen to have lasted 7,000 years, many years that is. We're now living in the seventh cycle. All the events associated with Adam and Eve seem to have occurred in this present cycle. And only in this present cycle we, uh, we have many years. Before this cycle, the years have been seen as God years. Are you with me? Listen to this now. Since six cycles have been completed, each comprising 7,000 years. That corresponds to 42,000 man years. We have already discovered how 90th Psalm explains that the man year uh, 
is only like a God's day. Therefore, one God year equals 305,150 man years. So if there were 42,000 God years prior to Adam, that is six cycles of 6,000 years each, that indicates that the figure, if you multiply, comes to 15 billion, 340 million, 500,000 years. Take a calculator. I know it's a little confusing because when I give you all these numbers, listen again to what I said and multiply. That's what I did. Remember, it was done 700 years ago. Rabbi Isaac of Acre wrote that the universe was 15 plus billion years old. Because we are living in the seventh cycle, the Hebrew calendar simply records the number of years since Adam, 5,783 years. But the total year age of the universe in Kabbalistic terms, yes, is 15 billion, whatever, 540 million, plus the last 5,783 years of our own cycle. That's the age. How, how could it be a coincidence without knowing, without using Kabbalistic calculations? Why didn't Rabbi Isaac came up with a billion or a hundred billion or 200 million? How could it be? Well, uh, you have to decide for yourself. Uh, in, nine, in 2000, I have a few minutes to tell you. Uh, I actually, in 2007, I, I, I had a, took a class with Rabbi Zamir Cohen. I told you he's the author of the book, uh, Becoming Revolution. The second edition is called Science Coming of Age. And I actually walked over to him and I asked him uh, about this seven days of creation. And I said, listen, what do you think? Do you know this text by Rabbi Isaac of Acre and that he actually claims the universe is 15 billion years old? And the rabbi said, yes, it is possible. That is, yes, this is a possible version. There may be other versions. Certain things which we do not know 100% for sure uh, up to grabs, for grabs, which means you can decide what you will accept, uh, whatever you're comfortable with. Most important, after all, is what wisdom we can derive from the text. But how long is the universe? Here I, I, I told you, and you think, and, and there, are, there, there is another rabbi I know who believes it's totally happened in seven days, 24 hours um, days. And he makes also a point that somehow it was done. Uh, it's a little more difficult for me uh, to explain his, his viewpoint. And I'm much more comfortable with the Rabbi Isaac of Akron in this explanation that I just gave you. Anyway, it's now 2.56. It's time for me to wrap up this show. We are 
we just covered 13 verses so far of the first chapter. Uh, but we are getting closer and closer to the most exciting um, uh, part of this first chapter, creation of a human. And I hope we'll be able to uh, finish next week the whole chapter, unless, uh, again, you have questions. Again, I will be glad to, to talk to you, just like I'm very happy to, was very happy to talk to Greg and happy to answer the emails and the texts. So I don't need or I don't want it to be necessarily only discussion of the Bible. Uh, but again, you're welcome to send me emails if you have any questions, or if you want me to address uh, some questions regarding the Bible or questions regarding life and health. Uh, for now, I want to thank you for being with me today. And next week, as I said, I will be um, doing this show from Texas and from the branch of Gary Hall. He graciously offered me his office um, last time in May, and so hopefully he will let me do it uh, this time as well. I'm looking forward to having your attention. Be happy. Thanks to, to you and to, for your attention. Uh, peace to all who want to live in peace. Adelante, que